This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Welcome to the Schroeder's Global Market Perspective, a monthly conversation aimed at South African investors where we discuss the issues that matter for global markets. Uh, this is Gavin Ralston. I'm talking to you from London in early August with Remy Olapitan, who is a fund manager in Schroeder's multi-asset team. Those of you who have attended the Schroeder's Investment Symposia we hold in March of each year in Cape Town and Johannesburg will have heard Remy speak on portfolio construction and multi-asset and on the integration of political risk into investment strategies, a very good background for today's conversation. Welcome, Remy, to the podcast. Until we reach the beginning of August, markets have been moving pretty serenely, with equity returns to the end of July looking very positive, and the Fed obliging with expected 25 basis point cut in short rates. At that point in late July, the S&P 500 was up 19% year-to-date. There then followed the latest tweet from President Trump, putting 10% further tariffs on $300 billion worth of Chinese imports, followed, not surprisingly, by Chinese retaliation. This has disturbed the equilibrium and triggered a sharp fall in equities and an even sharper fall in bond yields, exacerbated no doubt by the fact that much of the Northern Hemisphere is already on its summer holiday. So the trade war is now overshadowing the expectation of further monetary easing. Bond markets have come a long way since November of last year. If you remember back then, US yields at 10 years were over 3%. Now they're at 1.75%. But despite everything that's going on both globally and in South Africa, the rand is down only 2% from where it started the year against the dollar. But we're just talking against the background, Remy, of uh, the latest pronouncement from the Federal Reserve. They cut interest rates by 25 basis points as markets had anticipated, but made a more neutral statement than perhaps markets anticipated. Do do you think economic growth is sufficiently weak, either in the US or globally, to justify further cuts by the Fed? Yes, is the honest answer to that. Um, Global growth, to start with, is quite weak. The activity data is very weak. But most importantly, what we're struggling with is a lack of capital expenditure. Companies are holding back. And this has significant ramifications for future growth. So while US growth may appear to be okay, that's because the US market is very much consumption focused. It takes a while for the weakness in activity data, capital expenditure to feed through. So I do think that the Fed is right to start looking at the future and to start focusing on the weakness outside because that could impact the US data. And the economy that is most vulnerable to the decline in investment spending and capital spending is probably Germany, isn't it? Absolutely. And we continue to see that in the data. The German factory orders, manufacturing PMIs, it's very weak and it is a concern. It's a concern for Draghi. So going back to the stock market, there's this delicate balance between the expectation or the hope of further easing And the fact that growth is relatively weak, we've had just been through the earnings season in the US, which has been pretty much in line with expectations, but a very small single digit growth number. Which of those two uh, influences wins out in the next six months? If we have a situation where central banks are being proactive 
and they are cutting interest rates as precautionary cuts to avert a very negative scenario, that remains positive for the stock market. So at the moment, to some extent, stock equities and fixed income and credit are giving the central bankers the benefit of the doubt that this precautionary action can help to seal the deal in terms of reducing flatlining or providing a floor for growth. Now, that's very good for equities because equities relies on liquidity conditions and it's very good for multiples. So this year, what we have seen is significant multiple expansion. So equity investors are in a very good position right now. But bond markets are giving quite confusing signals in the sense that we still have in the US an inverted yield curve, which normally presages a recession. But if I look at forecasters around the pl- the place, none of them is forecasting a recession. We are certainly not. Schroeder's forecasting a recession in the US in either later this year or in 2020. Has has the bond market gone too far in the direction of slow growth? No, I, I think the bond market is right. But what the bond market is saying, what we're seeing are bond vigilantes to some extent, because what the bond market is saying is that financial conditions are still too tight. And that what we need is the central bankers in particular, the Federal Reserve, to be more aggressive. So the balance, the neutral view um, from um, Powell yesterday was not good enough for bond investors. Um, What bond investors are saying is that we need more aggressive policy action to avert a recession. So to some extent, it's bond vigilantes pushing central banks to be more aggressive. So putting all these things together in multi-asset portfolios at the moment, how are you positioned between risk assets and more defensive assets? So I would say we're in the middle in that we're trying to identify those assets that benefit from easy liquidity conditions and are not that sensitive to cyclical risk because what we don't know is whether growth will recover or when it will recover. So we don't want to be too exposed to those assets that require a recovery in growth, but we do like the assets that benefit from the liquidity environment that exists today because we do expect central banks to continue cutting. So in our portfolios, we do like carry. So assets that are delivering a very high yield um, because we expect those yields to continue to come down, which will lead to positive capital returns. Um, Examples are corporate bonds, both investment grade and high yield. They have performed very well, but the coupons are still quite attractive. Um, Within currencies, we like the high yielders. Within equities, there are some equity markets we like. We continue to prefer the US. Um, We're avoiding the really cyclical areas like Japan and to some extent parts of Europe because there you need very strong growth for outperformance. And I'm bound to ask, as you mentioned, high yielding currencies, what your perspective is from London on the South African rand. Yes, the South African rand is a challenge. Um, As you mentioned earlier, despite all the negative headlines, the RAND has been more or less stable um, this year. And I think part of the reason is that um, if you look at the South African RAND or South African bond, you're getting quite an attractive yield compared to what we have in Europe. Um, So investors are still very attracted to that yield. Um, So that's one of the reasons why the negative headlines isn't really being reflected in a significant weakness in the RAND 
yet. Um, but then again, investors are not piling in because there are other markets that where you have less um, political risk, um, more uh, clearer reform agenda. I think what we're seeing in South Africa is maybe some reform fatigue or resistance, which really isn't positive. And the ESCOM, the situation with ESCOM is a concern. So I think the carry is appealing, but for there are more attractive opportunities for high returns elsewhere within the high carry universe. And just reverting for a moment to the bigger picture, from this point onwards, uh, where can you go to get the sort of inflation plus four or five percent that most asset owners would be looking for? I mean, are, are the carry uh, opportunities in currency or bond markets enough to make up for an environment in which equity markets are, are weaker, possibly, in the next 12 months? I think that is a real challenge. Um, I the, the the issue we have at the moment is that because uh, markets have priced in, um, you know, multiple expansion, if we think about equities, due to um, the fact that central banks are easing, um, that means to some extent we're borrowing um, returns from the future. Um, in order to get better returns in the future, we need to see stronger growth. So in answer to your question, if growth were to recover strongly, then I do believe that risky assets such as equities and even the more um, cyclical areas can deliver inflation plus five. But that is a big if right now because um, the data is still weak. So I think it's too early to tell. Now, the negative scenario is that if we don't get that recovery in growth and we continue to muddle through and get some weakness, um, I guess the honest answer to your question, Gavin, is that perhaps we'll have to um, think about not inflation plus five. Perhaps we'll have to reduce our return target going forward. I think investors will need to manage their expectations, for a sh particularly for one or two years. Hmm. And w within the equity markets, we've seen... Uh, yet again, it feels a big dominance of returns by large growth companies over either small companies or value stocks. And that, I guess, is consistent with monetary easing, with um, the, the, the vulnerability of some manufacturing sectors to cyclical slowdown. Uh, many value investors will make a very strong case that we're at such extreme levels in terms of valuation that, that this has got to mean revert somehow. Where, where do you stand on that particular debate? So I agree with him. I agree with um, many value investors that, um, you know, the valuation case is so extreme and then we, we will see mean reversion at some point in time. The problem is we can't time that. And in order for that mean reversion to come through, you need a catalyst and the catalyst is growth. So the value universe, a lot of the stocks that are very cheap are also stocks that are within the manufacturing areas, are typically financial stocks, industrial are the stocks that have been hit badly by the weak growth environment. So for that to reverse, you need to see a recovery in the activity indicators. Until we see that, we are unlikely to get the mean reversion. And again, is that is that for you reflected in the way you are positioned within At, equity markets and multi-asset Yes, I think right now your the risk-reward for um taking risk on the data is not very attractive. I think for now, one can be more patient. 
until there is clear evidence that the data is bottoming, let alone recovering. Um, so until that evidence exists, I think one, you know, the risk reward isn't necessarily attractive to be taking cyclical risk. Uh, one of the, the phenomenons we've seen in the last month has been fairly pronounced strength in the dollar. I mean, the dollar had been more or less flat until the end of June, but it's now the trade weighted index is now at a, a 2019 high. And I guess that reflects the market's view that the US is more resilient than either the European economies or developed market economies generally. Uh, is, there's obviously a, an alternative narrative from President Trump talking about the, um, the, the benefits to other economies of weaker currencies. Do you think the dollar continues to strengthen from here? Yes, based on the data we have so far with US growth outperforming the rest of the world and with US interest rates higher than interest rates elsewhere, the dollar can continue to outperform. In order to see a reversal in the dollar, we need growth outside of the US to start outperforming. And we would need to see the Federal Reserve aggressively cut interest rates. So I do think that's one of the reasons why Trump last night, his tweets were very clear that he feels that the Fed isn't cutting enough. So for the dollar to weaken materially from here, we will need to see the Fed cut materially in order to shrink that interest rate differential. Until then, the dollar is likely to remain stubbornly strong. And a stubbornly strong dollar is not usually good news for emerging markets. No, it's all quite circular, really. It's not good news for emerging markets. So what this means is that the Fed holds the key until global activity somehow improves. Um, global activity could improve if we have more certainty around trade. Um, that, again, is a tough one to call. Um, so outside of that, it's really the Fed cutting aggressively to weaken that dollar and provide dollar liquidity to the rest of the world. That's certainly the approach um, President Trump would like the Fed to take. It might take us a while to get there. And you, you mentioned trade. I mean, it feels like markets have almost given up on there being any resolution of the China-US trade dispute. Uh, it seems to be backwards and forwards. It looks better one day, looks worse the next week. Um, is that something that you factor into portfolio positioning or is it just too difficult to call because it's all about politics? It's all about politics and it's difficult to call. But what it's doing is pulling us, it's forcing us to be more cautious. So it's difficult to call, but it suggests that downside risk will remain quite prevalent. And one of the reasons why the market has, you know, moved its um, concentration or attention away from trade is because of central banks. So we had a little bit of a hiccup in May. Um, once, um, you know, we had a little bit of, um, you know, rising tensions around trade, but the market was able to fade that based on the actions or the um, policies or the communication from the Fed and the ECB. So as long as central banks are providing that liquidity, central bank um, investors can direct their attention elsewhere. Um, nevertheless, if you don't have an improvement in trade, it means activity data won't recover. And so it feels as if central banks are providing time, are allowing investors to, you know, focus, you know, to be distracted. But we will need some form of resolution soon. Let's talk about the UK for a moment, because we, we have a new prime minister. 
uh, it feels like the probability of a no deal or disorderly Brexit is much higher than it's been pretty much at any stage in this process. Do you have any exposure in multi-asset portfolios to UK assets, either currency, equities or bonds? Yes. So in multi-asset portfolios, we do like UK bonds. Um, our view is that as we start, well, we certainly know that our gov- the UK government right now is planning for um, a hard Brexit or making preparations for a no deal. We do believe that this is actually quite negative for domestic growth in the UK. Um, we're going to hear from the, um, the Bank of England very soon. We expect them to move towards a dovish stance. All in all, this is good for UK government bonds for now. And um, there are question marks around the fiscal fiscal policy and the current account dynamics in the UK and what that means for government bonds. But for the time being, we do believe that the biggest factor is the negative headlines around Brexit. Mm. So we do like UK government bonds. We are still avoiding the currency. We think that the currency is probably the best place to express concerns around Brexit. So in our portfolios, we're avoiding sterling. Um, with regards to UK equities, again, they're very attractive. The dividend yields are so high, um, above 4%, um, much higher than what you can get in government bonds. Yet you have the Brexit issues. You have concerns around revenues. So again, we are tempted to look at UK equities. We think that one can be more patient. And, and Schroeder's economist, Azad Zangana, has just published an article Quite a depressing article from a UK perspective, which makes the point that even though the currency has been weak, any competitive gains have been frittered away because productivity growth has been so weak in the UK relative to our main competitor economy. So we can't even hang on to a competitive currency. No. Just again, moving back to the the, the bigger stage, uh, there's, there's obviously at this stage in the cycle, uh, a point at which it's going to be right to go much more defensive in constructing the sorts of portfolios you manage. What are, what are the signals you'd be looking for that would lead you in that direction? As I mentioned, investors are giving central banks the benefit of the doubt, assuming that the easing cycle will help to avert um, a recession. We are focused on the data, the leading activity data, and at the moment, they continue to be soft. If we see uh, an aggressive deceleration in the data, then that's a big concern for us. So the key indicators we're looking at is the manufacturing PMIs, industrial production, factory orders. Um, if that continues to decelerate, then that's a problem for us. It, we expect that that will be a headwind for risky assets. The other indicator is earnings. So this earnings cycle has been quite weak, but um, a lot of corporations provided they managed expectations. So the hurdle rate was quite low. Um, but what we're looking at is year on year earnings growth. At the moment, it's still slightly positive. If we move into negative territory, then that again is a concern. So I think we're kind of in a stalemate in that we're waiting to see what happens. Um, so everything is rather neutral. Um, if we get into a situation where the data turns, you know, more negative, then we will move to a defensive stance. 
We're almost out of time. Uh, Remy's done a great job in covering the entire world in less than 20 minutes. I guess if I were to pick out one point that, that resonates from what you've been saying, it's the continuing dominance of central banks in market sentiment. So if central banks continue to be seen as easing and offsetting weakness in growth, then the market outlook looks okay for equities. Uh, but if that is overwhelmed by more negative news on the growth outlook, then we may see a much less uh, strong performance by growth assets, by risk assets in the second half of this year or into 2020. So Remy, thank you very much again. And thank you all for listening. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.